What up, Miduele listeners? Stuart Anderson here with a short introduction to this podcast episode where we meet with uh, Andy Welch, Scotty Miles, and talk about their ascent up the volcanoes on the Big Island. So uh, absolutely ridiculous. These two climbs up Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa. Andy and um, Scotty both did these climbs just in the last couple months, and they share their experience, what it was like, um, how crazy these climbs are. I mean, they're considered like number one and number three hardest climbs in the world. Hello. So they're going to give you the details on that, as well as we did a quick dive into um, True Grit, which they both did, and both competed in in just awful conditions. So we're grateful to have them on. They're absolute all-stars when it comes to Miduele. I mean, these guys are the leaders in the face of, of all we do and what they stand for. So grateful to have them on for just a minute. Thanks for listening. Uh, no real announcements or anything to share. Just grateful for all of you and all those that listen to the podcast. And uh, that's it. Here comes Andy and Scotty. All right, what's up, everybody? Stuart here, uh, joined today by Andy Welch, Scotty Miles. Welcome, dudes. Thank you. Good afternoon. We are uh, excited. There's this, just the three of us on. Going to be talking about uh, some epic adventures these two have had, although not together, but very connected. Uh, so we're going to tell the stories of a few things, Hawaii and True Grit. So that's coming up uh, in a sec. I wanted to make just a couple announcements. One, uh, kits. So kit is, order is open. Seems to be the only thing that anyone ever wants to text me about is, can I get a discount on such and such? And does the Velocity jersey make me look fat? So, yes, it will. It's very tight. <laughs> uh, but kid orders are open. I think it's the 19th. Can you guys confirm on that? Any idea? I thought the, okay. I thought the 17th. Okay. Anyway, get on. Um, we will do one more. We'll, we'll, we'll open it one more time because there's nothing I love better than doing kit pickup. So we're going to do another one, uh, but I will, I'm going to doubt that it's going to be available for you before Lodija. So buy your Lodija pee pants now. Uh, Cause we're not, if we open it before Lodija, it's got to open like June. So uh, buy your stuff. Okay. Part two. Uh, I wanted to make a huge shout out to the five canyons ride by wheels of justice. Um, so that takes place on September 25th. And uh, we are going to go, we're diving in. We're going full bore here for Five Canyons Ride. Everybody's going to sign up and we are going to come out in droves and make some awesome donations to the uh, Wheels of Justice charity. That Wheels of Justice charity uh, is run by one of our own teammates, Greg Hoyle, who uh, runs a charity and all that money goes to fight uh, child abuse in Utah, as well as provide counseling for children who have been abused. Uh, So I'm jumping in guys we're going i'm doing all five i might even tack on parley's scotty <laughs> my favorite sweet thanks <laughs> maybe add a little big mountain you know so anyway 25th of september more coming on that greg's going to get on and share a bit um history and and why we donate to those charities so anyway oh did you guys get the zwift kit actually i did Looks oh, good. Nice man. work on that, by the way. That is freaking rad, right? It's money. Bad timing. I I axed my Zwift 
memberships <laughs> so right before the kits and right before it started snowing again. So yeah, it got bad timing all over the place. Yeah. Anyway, now you have something to look forward to. For pretty... <laughs> yeah. You can really look forward to getting back on your trainer, Scotty. <laughs> um, anyway, that was fun. Zwift kits are up. Yellow, you can all wear yellow on Zwift. Uh, big shout out to Calvin Harris who kind of fixed that up for us. So anyway, thank you. All right. These two dudes, let's introduce them. Andy, uh, man, how long have we known each other here? We're going on, I mean, we're going on 10 years. Is it 10 years close, at least? Just over eight years, I think. So yeah. it's uh, coming up pretty quick. So. And then Sc Scotty, we've known each other for about the same time since I started riding in the yellow and blue uh, in Mill Creek with Joel and, and Munn. So, uh, these two yep. dudes are, are regulars on all rides. Uh, I mean, TJ says that if you manifest legendary status, then that's what happens in your life. So it could be <laughs> that legendary. was good. He, he said a lot of good things. That was some very enlightening stuff. Enlightening. He's, a, he's a thinker, man. <laughs> he was good. That was fun to have him on. So, um, Andy, maybe you start and then Scotty go next. How did you kind of connect with the team? How did it all start? Yeah, my uh, my wife and I moved into the neighborhood probably about eight, just over eight years ago. And uh, uh, we we got uh, I just had graduated from uh, from my master's my master's degree in uh, MBA from the U. And it was time to kind of move on. So we moved into the neighborhood as, and I was introduced to, to Chip. And uh, so. I'd meet Chip at church a little bit and hang out. We talked about cycling and uh, we got going that way. Um, so I was introduced to Chip with cycling. It was a, it took us a, a month or two to kind of get on the bike together. And uh, um, and so one day we had a, a camp out, a ward camp out. And he said, hey, why don't, uh, why don't you pack your bike? And th this time I was kind of riding maybe two days a week thinking I was pretty, pretty consistent. And that was probably pretty flat miles as well. So I, um, Chip said, hey, why don't we ride home from Ward Camp out? <laughs> uh, yeah. This was a 62-mile one-way from Oakley via the uh, Marzac, Guardsman's Pass via Marzac. I had no clue what I was getting into. It hit me, it hit me pretty quickly that uh, when I'm uh, in the middle of Marzac, still having to go up uh, Guardsman, that paper boy and happened pretty quickly as we That's were going fun, dude. chip dude being the same thing was just kept riding by hey andy just one pedal after another just nice it was, <laughs> it was everything i could do to stop from uh, from tipping over so that was my introduction into to me Dooley. but um yeah it's been it's been uh it's been fun the, the last uh last little bit so. dude huge shout out to andy if you didn't know it when I rode Lotija last year, Andy supported Kristen. And I think she probably prefers Andy to <laughs> me as support at Lotija. <laughs> Very, yeah. Andy, that was probably like close to like a sacred experience to watch you take care of Kristen. It was so rad. I mean, I wouldn't trust her with uh, anybody else. That was just that was awesome dude thanks oh, well, so thank you th thanks for the opportunity it was a lot of fun i tried to get some photos throughout the race course and uh it, it one of the things i love about the meduli group is that we just suffer together we experience things together and it's that suffering that creates that bond and that was an experience that uh, i was able to share with Kristen that created that bond for us for for life so looking appreciate that opportunity 
Yeah, it's man. always better to watch someone suffer than to suffer. So that's a, also a good part of the opportunity. Right. I'm happy to get you more Gatorade as long as I don't have to do what you're doing. For sure. Okay, Scotty, your turn. How did it all start, dude? All right. So I grew up and live, and since I've been married, been in the neighborhood where Chris Peterson and uh, Dave Sharp have lived. And so knew both of those all growing up. I'm sure Chris Peterson was a some sort of young men's leader for me when I was when I was younger. I think actually the very first mountain bike ride I ever went on was with Chris Peterson. Now that I think about it, going up Mill Creek, you know, 40, no, not 40, 30 years ago. So, so that was probably my first introduction to Chris and biking. And then uh, in 2002 or so, um, got a road bike. Um, I was still at the U and just finishing up up there, got a road bike, um, moved into the neighborhood and and between Chris and, and Dave, I'm not sure who reached out first or how it worked, but yeah, started riding a little bit with the guys and uh, yeah, was, was hooked. Shortly thereafter, I'm trying to think what year it was. The first race I did with the group was, was over the top. Mm. This is one of the years where I think they had shortened the race due to whatever reason, construction or snow or something. And you went from Camus up to somewhere over the top of uh uh, bald mountain on the other side. Um, and then you just stopped for whatever reason and the race ended and then you either could have someone come pick you up or, <laughs> or you had to ride back. And, and you guys know how this story ends, right? You, mm -hmm. I'm with Dave Sharp. He convinces me to do the, do the race. This is going to be awesome. And I'm like, okay, why not? I do a race. I just did the citizen category and it was fun. And I thought this was great and I was done and I was pretty well spent. And then we had to ride back. And yeah, at that point I was, I was pretty much toast and Dave was real patient and didn't completely, no, he didn't leave me at all. And it, yeah, it was, it was good. You're but pedaling squares, Scott. I was, I was pedaling squares and it was, it was my first century after a race and, and I was, I was toast. So yeah, nice. I guess I've, I've never been backed over the top. So I guess that, that made, yeah. And Scotty, you had it. I mean, you had an interesting year last year. Tell us about who. I mean, where did you mostly ride? And, and I mean, your your rides last year, it, just because of COVID, were super different. Yeah. So last year, um, got got the gravel bike. Um, Dave got one about the same time. We got the Bikes Direct Special. Got a couple of Matobacane um, gravel bikes and started going with with Aaron Jordan and, and some of his friends and it it was a uh, different, it was kind of a different way to do things. We kind of had smaller groups um, because of COVID. And so we, was, yeah, just kind of went out and did some of these rides, but it was, yeah, kind of, kind of a different thing being a able to link year. up some of the same things we've done, big mountain, parleys, big cottonwood, but then you intermix the, the gravel sections with them and, and link them up different ways. So you don't have to go at parleys all the time or, or yeah. this and that. And it kind of gives us some, some different options, but it was a, it was a fun, fun summer. Not really racing, but just kind of getting killed by these guys. So it was good. And both Scotty and Andy have a, that's kind of why we're here to uh, mix them. They're proficient in multiple, like the, you're talking about, I mean, Scotty, you like raced in the world championship Xterra triathlon in Hawaii, didn't you? Yeah. And so that, that was kind of my introduction to biking. I got off my mission in 1998 and had a friend who kind of convinced me, hey, you should come do this Jordanelle triathlon. This may have been like the first year of Jordanelle, and they they did 
they did an off-road course and an on-road course. I didn't have a road bike, so I did the off-road course. It was, Xterra was sponsoring at the time, and that was kind of the infancy of Xterra. And so they, uh, yeah, so the road bikers went one way and the, and the mountain bikers went the other, and we went around the lake up there at Jordanelle. And it was, it was a fun race, but my first introduction to really bike racing and triathloning, and, and uh, you know, I didn't really ride or swim or run much, but, you know, it was a good, good excuse to go try all those things. And so got into it a little bit that way. And then once I got my road bike, um, like I say, in 2002 or so, or um, started doing a little bit of uh, some road triathlons with friends and family and, and just kind of Olympic distance, just not real serious, just doing some of those. And then about 10 years ago, um, Dave Sharp, once again, bad influence, convinced me to do the Xterra triathlon up, up in Ogden. Um, they, Xterra has been coming here to either do the national championship or kind of the regional championships for, for years and years. And so started doing that. And so I did that for about 10 years straight. Um, and every year, you know, I try and do a little bit, get a little bit faster and, and whatnot. And then here about three years ago, did qualify uh, to go go to Maui for the Xterra World Championships, and that was it was a fun time. It was good. It uh, you know kind of reminded me of kind of what we're going to talk about with True Grit or otherwise. It was huge deluge, just huge mud mess, oh. just complete disaster. But it was it was great. It was fun playing in the mud. So it was, it was nice. a good time. But Andy, what do you you got to tell the listeners? They're dying to know your aspirations for this year's athletic achievements. <laughs> tell tell them what you're doing. <clears throat> They, I don't know if they're aspirations. I kind of got <laughs> tricked into this thing. So I got, uh, I got looped into doing the Wasatch 100 um, trail running race. <laughs> on, a mountain, on a mountain bike? <laughs> yeah, I wish. I wish. <laughs> so it's a 100-mile it's a run event, 27,000 feet of vertical climbing throughout the race. Um, and it's interesting how this even came about. I got a, a sister who her and her husband do some trail running. And uh, we, because 2020 pushed over uh, to 2021, you had about a three or 4% chance of actually getting drawn out. So our strategy was, hey, let's throw our names in for 2021, knowing that we're gonna push to 2022. And the, the goal was that all three of us would get drawn out and that we would support each other with no other support um, or pacers. And we'd just support each other well. There was about 1,200 names involved into the lottery. There was they were calling out 63 contestants, and they go through the first 60. They're getting through 61, 62, and then number 63 rolls around, and they say, "All right, from Holiday, Utah, Andy Welch," and that was the last one to get called out. And they're like, "All right, that's a wrap. Good luck, everyone. We'll see you September 10th." Oh, <laughs> no, the dead last one. So, all. My paradigm shift of training and what we were doing has, has shifted dramatically and just coming off of some knee repairs or some other things. So oh, it's, perfect. Uh, it's I'm be excited, great. I know, right? <laughs> but I'm, I'm excited. It's, uh, it's, it's fun. We were up on top of uh, Wire today with. Uh, I saw that with Matt. With Matt and uh, Storeheim. Yeah. So that was a cool. Time. Just so you know, Andy, this, the, the favorite, my favorite part of 2021 is going to be watching you do this. So I'm, I'm excited. I can't That's, wait. This wow. is going to be great. I'm going to call you up. I've seen you. I've seen your Strava runs lately. I uh, I just need to come hang on to your coattails for a little while. Come running. Uh, yeah, I'd for sure do some training runs with you. But yeah, 100 miles. That's a that's a big goal. I'm excited. That's going to be awesome. Thanks, Scotty. I'm looking forward to it. Scotty, your claim to fame is when you just wake up and get 
to the top of Olympus and home in like an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> it's like, I love it. It's like my favorite thing you do. It's so yeah, that's good. a good one. Yeah. Try and do that and get to work before eight o'clock. It's a, right. It's a fun one. <laughs> so uh, recently these two both traveled to the big Island. Is it the big Island? Yep. Yeah. And both experienced a different sort of like it, it, it correct me if I'm wrong. If, if you go to the internet and type in like, what is the hardest thing I could possibly do on a bike? Both of these climbs that you guys did up Mauna Loa and Mauna Kea are ranked. I think one and three, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's how they rank. Uh, so I think it'd be fun to talk about your experience, what you guys did, how you arrived at the idea, what they were like, uh, all the, all the nitty gritty details. Uh, Andy, why don't you go first when you, when you went and how it worked out? Let's do it. My, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to, uh, to the big Island and, uh, with the work. So no kids, just her and I with a group of work people. And, uh, she, she's like eight days with you. She goes, you might want to bring your bike. Like, <laughs> and she's, uh, she's like, I want to sit by the pool, but I, I can't sit still. Why don't you bring your bike? So it was interesting. I remember I was talking to, to Jay Cook and he, uh, he just got done doing Haleakala, you know, for January. And he said, Hey, you got to do Malakea when you're there. I really hadn't even really known much about it when, uh, when I was there, so, or, or before I'd gone. So Jake kind of put the, so I started doing a little research after he put the bug in my ear and, and uh, it came up as the world's hardest climb. So I said, hey, I'll give it a shot. The, uh, he also kind of coached me on how to get my bike over there, what that looked like. I was able to borrow a, a bike bag from a friend of mine who, it was actually really easy and really efficient. You take, the, you, you take off the front wheel, the back wheel, it locks onto this bike bag. And uh, for 30 bucks on American Airlines, they just checked it in like it was a piece of luggage. And when I showed up, it was it was there all in one piece and, and everything worked out really well. So as far as getting the bike over there, it was, it was really easy. When I, uh, my intention was to kind of get a few rides in around the island and then kind of a couple of days before to head home, just kind of get uh, to attempt this. And Scotty, you'll have to speak to this a little bit. It was interesting. The big island, the depth perception to it is so weird. You look out along the distance and you see these windmills and you're like, oh, that's probably 10 miles. I'll just go for a quick there now, you know, maybe an hour, two hours into it. I'm still heading out towards those windmills and it's actually ended up like a 25 mile ride just to get there. So the depth perception is, is pretty weird there on the big island. You can actually see Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa from the Waikoloa shore that we were staying in and, uh, they look relatively pretty close, but the uh, the depth perception is so weird. So I got uh, I'd spent a couple rides there, um, riding the, along the uh, the Ironman Trail there in the road, and, and a lot of fun the first day. Uh, did a couple other little climbs around about, and it came to Wednesday that that I was there and said, "Hey, let's go let's go try this out." I kind of tried to get a, a little bit of understanding, had to swing into the bike shop the night before, kind of make sure I had some nutrition and, and whatever else. And my goal the whole time in going there was Mauna Kea. And so when I went into the bike shop, I just asked him, hey, what's your guys' thoughts on this? Am I, you know, anything you would advise me on? And uh, the, the uh, 
the guy at the bike shop. I don't think he was as hardcore as maybe some of most of our me Dooley guys, but he said along there's when you go up Mauna Kea and I'm excited for Scotty to talk about this, there's a four mile gravel section. I wouldn't call it gravel, but there's a four mile dirt section. And he said, well, do you have a mountain bike? Most people come in, they do this on two bikes. And um, he said, also, what are you planning on driving over this? It's uh, it's kind of a challenging thing to drive over. So my thought was, well, I'll go, I'll head out there. And you, 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 from the resort, you ride the same road 40 miles. And you, when you get to either to the turnoff, you have, you hang left to go to Mauna Kea or you hang a direct right to go, to go to Mauna Loa. So I left at about 5.30 and I told my wife, I said, hey, you sleep in, do your thing. It's going to take me a couple hours to get through these first 40 miles. <laughs> <Why not? laughs> you, you enjoy the day, right? Mm -hmm. So don't stress out about it. And uh, so I set off and um, my goal, my plan was let's get to that point and, uh, and then I'll assess it, see how the wife's feeling, see what's going on and uh, go from there. So it was interesting. We start, I started out about 5.30 and it's 40 miles, strong headwind um, and about 7,000 feet just to get to the start of the climb. So you're, it, it takes just to get to the start line. You're uh, it's a little bit of a grind. It's dark about it. When I started, it was about 62 degrees. Okay. About seven o'clock, I had gotten out about 20 miles and you, you kind of hang this left to go up the main highway. I remember at seven o'clock, the sun was about to come. I felt like it had dropped by like 20 degrees in temperature. I got super cold. Um, I had a vest on and thermal on and everything. I didn't have my gloves. So then the next two hours to get to the turnoff point about nine o'clock, I ended up getting there about 9.30. My wife met me there about 9.30. And uh, by this time at the top, just to even start the climb, it was probably maybe 50 degrees, not even 50 degrees. And uh, at this time, my wife shows up. I'm putting on full-on rain jackets, beanies, gloves, buffs. I'm bundling up at this turnoff because I'm just frozen cold to the bones right now. And also, my wife kind of got lost to get to the turnoff. So she was anxious. She was stressed out. And at this point in time, I was trying to make a call. Am I going to go up Mauna Kea or am I going to go up Mauna Loa? And I figured the status of my wife right now is probably not uh, too great for her to go drive across this <laughs> four mile dirt road up, you know, another 8,000 feet in a car that she has no clue what she's doing. And so I decided to go up Mauna Loa. And if you, if you, if you Google Mauna Loa, it, the, the, the few things that I read was it's, it's entitled the world's longest climb. Mm -hmm. So from that, from that 40 miles of the turnoff, you, uh, you hang a right and out in the distance, you just see this, this road. And it's super, it's super cool because you narrow down into literally a one lane road. It's maybe 10 feet. And the next 20 miles, you climb from about 7,000 feet up to just shy of about 12, just over 12,000 feet. Oh and uh, it's, it's super pretty. But I remember, it's interesting because a couple of days, you know, you're riding and you're riding at sea level. And I kept thinking, holy cow, this is what it feels like to ride at sea level. Your heart rate is like it, not even 100. Your legs are feeling refreshed all the time. And uh, so the at the start of this event, I was feeling pretty good. When I got to that 40 mile marker to hang a right, 
I started feeling a little bit more like we do in Utah climbing, right? My legs are kind of getting a little bit more spent. Even breathing became a little bit more, a uh, little bit more difficult. And uh, I'm, now I'm all bundled up and I'm on a one lane road heading out up to the top of Mauna Loa. Um, if you can imagine, if I could compare it to anything, I would compare it to like the last third of Mill Creek where it just pitches and pitches and pitches. And it's, it's that for 20 miles. You never pitch downwards. It's a constant pitch upwards into some steep sections. And, uh, but if, and then I would also compare it to like riding through a little bit of Snow Canyon where all you can see is lava fields for as far as you can see. So you got this black lava, this black asphalt, by, by, by about halfway up, I'm shedding my beanie, I'm shedding my jacket because you're getting higher. And even though the temperature's still about 50, now the, I had my black uh, 2021 kit on. And so now I'm like getting sunburned and getting, uh, getting pretty hot in, the, in this situation. Um, but it was one of the most fascinating, yeah. most beautiful rides. I never felt like, I kept telling myself, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And then I would see the th like 8,000 mile marker. So on the pavement, they had painted 8,000 feet. And then you'd get up to about, and then every 500 feet that you climb, they would have that spray painted. But I was just taken back at the views. And the, the cool thing about Mauna Loa was I only saw one car. What? Um, yeah, the whole time. The, I had the entire 20 mile section to myself. Only one car. My wife would just leapfrog me from behind and, uh, and she would make sure I was good. But the interesting thing is going back to that oxygen and, and riding at sea level, 7,000 feet, like I said, kind of became a little bit like you would ride in Utah. 9,000 feet, I started kind of getting a little lightheaded because you go from sea level to now 9,000. By the time I got to 9,000, I was kind of breathing a little bit harder, trying to kind of catch my breath a little bit. And then by the time I got to the top, you could see it. I was just, all right, just grind this out, finish this out. I had the biggest headache. I was trying to breathe. And uh, no way. It, it was it was a pretty, it was a pretty, I didn't ever feel like that my legs couldn't push the climb. Right. I just, cause it was, a, I think on average that, that climb the last 20 miles is a 5% average climb. So it wasn't crazy. But the thing that got me was, how my body reacted to the altitude as I rode from mm. sea level up to 12,000 feet. Um, but it was, it was one of the most exhilarating rides I think I've ever done. The views were fascinating. I was by myself the whole time. And uh, it was just, it was awesome. As, as I rode, my, my choice of music got, uh, it reminded me of Zwift. My choice of music gets a little bit more energetic the longer the ride goes. So it's, uh, it was a good time and, and had a blast. I thought I would ride back, but at that point in time, I, uh, I, was, I was ready to jump in the car and call it a day. Well, Strava puts you at seven hours, 17 minutes elapsed time. You started at 5.04 a.m., 60 miles up. Up. Up 11,717 vert gained right right oh. so it was uh it was fun it, it's interesting i, I mentioned we'll, we'll hear from scotty but the first the first even 10 miles getting up i forgot the little town but the first 10 miles you climb like three thousand feet and it's a grind it's in the dark you can't see 
I mean, there really wasn't, it was pretty gradual, but it was kind of a grind, even just from the very get go. Oh, it, it reminds you of the rides here, right? It's dark, the wind's blowing in your face and then you feel like it, you're at home only it's, it's warmer because <laughs> you're in Hawaii, but other than that, you're, you're at home, dark and windy. Exactly. Nice. Okay. Let's have Scotty share and then we'll see what you guys can compare. All right. So my uh, Hawaii adventure started about a year ago. We were planning on going to um, Kauai as a family for spring break and then COVID hit. And then the morning we were supposed to go to the airport. The, the, we had the earthquake out in Magna. The water pipes busted at the airport. And uh, we kind of looked at ourselves and wondered, you know, is this really the right thing? And at the time, Hawaii was kind of debating whether they were going to shut down. And we didn't know if we wanted to go there and show up and then have them say, okay, now we're everyone needs to quarantine. And so we just said, let's, let's not do this and just hang back and do it again next year. So we rescheduled it for this year. Um, and then, well, actually we just actually got all our money back. And then this last fall, we started looking again and said, Hey, let's things are starting to open up again. Let's roll the dice again and, and see if this works. We were scheduled to go to Kauai and initially that looked good, but then everyone else started to open up and Kauai had their own little nuances. And so, Finally, that wasn't going to work. And so in February, we had to change our plans and kind of did an audible and, and went from Kauai to uh, the Big Island. And so that was somewhere we'd never been. And so we wanted to try it out. And right about that same time, I pull up Strava one day and see Andy's climb. And I'm thinking, what in the heck did he just do? It just you know, <laughs> 12,000 feet of climbing and 60 miles. I'm like, what is, what is, does that even exist? And so same kind of thing. Like you said, you know, once someone puts a bug in your ear, you just gotta, you gotta follow that through. And so I, you know, started looking at the information, finding out there's Mauna Loa and there's Mauna Kea and, you know, it's this kind of ride over here, or you can do this and, you know, search on Strava and, you know, Phil Guyman had done Mauna Kea as like his last final, you know, fastest known time ride as he was done being a pro. And so, that sounded pretty legit. I want to, I went in on that, not on the fast and done time, but anything that's worth his time to go do, you know, I want to, I want to try that out. Yeah. And so kind of researched it a little bit and, and uh, talked to Andy a little bit at, at camp asking, asking him what he did and why he did it. And if he'd do it again, and he was just like, he explained, he was all over it. So I said, all right, let's do this. So, so kind of started working through the logistics and I, I wasn't as a, uh, adventurous as, as Andy didn't try and bring my bike. And so I just rented a bike there, um, decided I wanted to try and do Mauna Kea. Like I said, I got a gravel bike this last year. And the fact that it had a four and a half mile gravel segment, I said, Hey, that sounds like pretty good pain. Let's, let's try that out. So, <laughs> so I called the bike shop and looked online and they had some gravel bikes and the benefit kind of the compare and contrast. One of the things that's different between the two the two mountains are about the same. One's 13.7 Mauna Loa and Mauna Kea is only a hundred feet higher. But if like Andy is saying, it, the, the depth perception is pretty interesting. If you look at the two right next to each other, as you're riding up that saddle road and you got one on one side and one on the other, you know, they just look different. Mauna Loa is just this massive, you know, ramp going, you know, going up 13,000 feet and Mauna Kea is, is, is steeper. And so there's kind of a different look to them. So yeah, at the end of the day, there's a lot more grade on Mauna Kea. And so the, the gravel bike was the way to go. Um, Scott, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't mean ahead. to interject here and I apologize, but imagine I, I talked about getting to a point where you hang left to Mauna Kea and right to Mauna Loa. That right to Mauna Loa looks flat. 
that left to Mauna Kea, the only <laughs> way I can explain that is 20 miles or, or 14 miles of the backside of Guardsman. It's yeah. just, it is strictly straight up. It's, it's fascinating even just sitting next to it, just looking at it. It's a daunting view. It was very, well, very intimidating. So yeah, you, you need more gear. And so like Andy was saying, most people usually do a, a road bike, mountain bike combo. I didn't want to mess with two bikes. You know, it was hard enough going to be to get one and make it all work. And so the gravel bike is a good, a good option. The, the gearing that was on the gravel bike had a 31, 34 um, gearing. And so, yeah, you had a more than one-to-one -one ratio. And so it had, you know, more gearing than I've got on my current gravel bike, maybe not quite as much as a, a mountain bike, but uh, still pretty good. Um, and it had 40 millimeter tires and, and yeah, went with that. Started off kind of the same time Andy was saying, 5, 5.30 in the morning. You get going, it's dark, wind straight in your face. And uh, yeah, you just kind of settle into a groove, get listen to some music and, and you start making it up the, up the canyon there. Um, yeah, as the sun started to come up, like Andy said, you know, you just kind of go on and on. But yeah, as the sun started to come up, it was right behind Mauna Kea and it just, you know, Mauna, obviously it's a volcano. You kind of have the comparisons and so you got the sun coming up and it just looks like Mount Doom, you know, from, from <laughs> Lord of the Rings. And so you kind of get a little intimidated, like, what, what am I thinking about here? And so but then the sun comes up and it's all good. And the wind's still blowing in your face and you just kind of keep on trudging along. But like Andy said, you know, from you know, we started at the beach, pretty much at the water. I think I started at about elevation 10 feet. I couldn't, the gate was locked, so I couldn't quite go to the ocean. You start there and, and to the turnoff is, like Andy was saying, 35 miles or so at six to 7,000 feet at a pretty relative grade. It's like overall 4% grade, but like Andy said, there's a lot of undulations there. Um, but then as the turnoff, yeah, you kind of look up and you got 20 miles of some, some pretty kick butt stuff. And it, yeah, it I'm looking at I'm looking at grades on your Strava right now, 12.8, I mean, yeah, the, this the like over, ramps up like crazy. Yeah, so the overall grade for the last 20, 20 miles is about 10 or 11 percent grade, kind of averages for that 20, 20 miles. But it uh, you know, is that the paved, is that the paved road? It's paved and it's paved. Yep. Okay. And so, yeah, you're going through sections and that's average. And so, yeah, you're going through sections that are five or six that aren't bad. And then it'll kick up to 15% and, and yeah, you use every gear you got and you just kind of keep on, keep on going. Um, and then you get to about 10,000 feet and there's a visitor center there and that's where the gravel section stop, starts. And there's a, there's folks there that kind of meter the folks that people that can go up above there. So technically they say you need a four wheel drive car to go the next four and a half miles because it's gravel road. They don't want you tearing up their road. And so they say there has to be a four wheel drive car. You have to have a four wheel drive car and they kind of enforce it. I guess that was new to me. All the research I did, it was kind of, they suggest having a four wheel drive car, but no one said, Hey, someone's going to kind of say yay or nay. And so, you know, luck, you know, we did end up getting a four wheel drive car. So my wife was following me similar to what and how Andy described you know, I asked her to leave the beach at nine o'clock and follow me up. But with the, the headwind I, I had, I called her and said, you know, maybe, maybe give it till 10 o'clock. So, <laughs> so she was, uh, didn't want to make her, make her wait too long. And so she was coming up behind me, got to the guard station. They said, Hey, if you're going to bike up, you got to sign in. So you sign in, say, I'm going to go to the top. And 
he kind of looks at you funny like why what are you doing why are you doing this are you sure you know what a moron yeah he's wanting to make sure that you know i'm not going to pass out and the drivers aren't going to pass out and so he kind of asks you a couple questions and Hmm. i guess i passed the test because he let me go on and and so kind of went through the gravel road and and it you know started off not bad you know this is a nice little road they kind of take care of it and then about a mile in it just got nasty and it was it was horrible and so you got these you got these hairpins where the hairpins pretty much, you know, it's like going up Pine Canyon road where you're pretty much, you're fine. It's all well and good until you hit the, the hairpin and the hairpin is just nasty, but only the, this, these hairpins are on gravel, similar to Pine Canyon road. Well, oh. similar in grade to Pine Canyon road, they're gravel. And the, the bike I had, I mean, it was a gravel bike and the tires were the right size, but they had zero profile. So they were slicks. And so you had to really kind of focus on your cadence and make sure you're not spinning out and, and try and, and uh, stay on your bike. Cause if you fell off trying to get going again on, you know, and 10 plus grade of, of, of this stuff is, is not easy. And so anyway, so there, there was a, I will admit there was a little bit of bike walking that, that happened on the gravel section, but that was kind of expected. And the research I had done, people had kind of debated that and even had their family who were, who was following him, maybe give them some running shoes and whatever. I'm like, I just trashed my shoes and walked up the hill and (laughs) kind of got on and off my bike. And and then I get to about four and a half miles into this gravel road. And I see, you know, one of the Rangers coming down, you know, this is a Hawaiian guy, just, you know, everything is fine and good. And, you know, he stops me. Hey, how you doing? You know, I just want to see if I'm going to fall off my bike. And he's kind of joking around. And I said, I'm doing good. I said, now, where does this end? He's like, oh, about two miles up. He's totally serious. I'm like, just my heart just sinks thinking I'm, I am going to die on this hill. Dude. The whole, cause the whole time I was thinking as I was doing this, I, I took Andy's stories and, and what he said about Mauna Loa and what the bike shop guy had told him at Mauna Kea. And I just kind of figured, you know, if it worse comes to worse, I'm on a big, huge hill. I'll just turn around and come home. It's not a big deal. So, so that was always the plan. And I probably would have done that at that point if, if indeed it was two miles to go, but then the guys, Oh, just joking. It's a quarter mile up there. You're good. <laughs> so I, I, uh, my spirits were lifted and I, I kept on going and got nice. to the road and, and it was more of the same. You kind of, the, the gravel road kind of averages about 10% grade and then it kicks up and then it averages 11% from there to the top. Oh my God. Like Andy's saying at that point, you know, I was about, probably about 12,000 feet you know, you don't certainly feel the same as you did the beginning of the day. And, and you can't, yeah, you certainly can't push too hard. Your legs aren't really dying, but yeah, if you put down too many Watts, you're going to get altitude sickness and you're going to get lightheaded and you're wow. going to get nauseated and, and it's going to turn real bad real quick. So you just kind of have to gauge your, gauge your effort and try and stay good. And so I just kind of slowed down, did some paper boying. you know, similar to Mauna Loa, there's not a lot of road cars on the road. And so you just kind of go back and forth. And then when cars come along, you pretend like you're doing real good and you're riding a straight line and, and, uh, and then they leave and you start paper boying again. But uh, yeah. So it worked out good until I got to about 13,000 feet or actually it's probably about 12,000 feet. I call my wife every once in a while and I call her and, and she's all, well, I'm at the guard station and, and the guys tell me I need to wait here. And, and I'm start. I know I'm not sure how I feel, and he's asking me how I feel, and and I said you feel fine. Get up here right now. So please. 
I was on my last leg. I was on the deathbed. I was on my deathbed and I needed some food and water. So I said, yeah, it's, yeah tell me you're good. Get up there. So, okay, I'll come. So she got up there right as about as, as right about the time I got to about 12,500 feet. And she followed me up for a little bit. It was real steep there and I didn't want to stop. And I said, okay, just follow me. Got to about 13,000 feet and the slope kind of, the grade kind of calms down a little bit. Had a half a bag of chips and drink and got off my bike and felt a lot better and finished it up. So it was, it was good. Do Everyone wanna... survived. Similar to Andy. Once I did that, I didn't feel like riding home. The gravel bike wasn't going to, with the slicks, wasn't going to make it on the gravel section. So threw the bike in the car and started the vacation. So, so if it. you, if you look at the Strava segment that you rode, it calls itself Waikoloa beach to Mauna Kea summit. It's 55.59 miles, 13,762 vert. And there's only 52 people who have ever done it. it yeah, I was, how, how is that even Dude, you're number 13 on this list. The, yeah, the issue is the yeah, logistically <laughs> and just looking at that mound, I don't think it invites tons of people, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's certainly a bucket list item. Certainly recommend if you're going to the big island, you have to at least consider it either Mauna Kea or Mauna Loa. They're both, you end up about the same elevation, yeah. great views. You're above the clouds. It's just an amazing thing. Took yeah, you what, se- seven and a half hours. Moving time, 7.09. Dude, this is Scott. You got, I can't believe you guys did. Were you just a wreck? I mean, it sounds like once this was over, you guys were both just like, I am cooked. Like, like Andy said, I mean, you're, man, it's such a pretty, I mean, you know, where you're at, you're in Hawaii, riding up there, riding around snow in Hawaii. And, and uh, yeah, the day I was there, the weather was great. I had short sleeves. Once you got to the turnoff and started going up the hill, you know, the wind kind of stopped and, and uh, I had short sleeves most of the way. And, you know, it was just beautiful weather, beautiful atmosphere, and you just kind of forget the pain and just keep on going. You, Dude, I think, yeah, I think I would add to that. Like, I never felt like I was just going ham the whole time. But no. I, I, it was, it, we knew what we were getting into, or at least I knew how to manage that effort over a long period of time. In fact, I think if you look at our average watts, it's like 160. 150, or one, yeah, 160. Right? So, I, it was more time management and ride management where I never felt like I was just, I felt like an hour of Zwift was a lot harder than this Mauna Loa at times, right? Just totally different races, but uh, it's super fun. I think, I think the, the different factors in, into the ride is what you were trying to manage. Yeah. But you two are also built really different than normal humans. So that probably played into a factor here. I'm always up for an adventure. So that was a, that I was know. a good one not to, not to be missed. So I had to at least try. Dude, unreal. Okay, well, that deserves an entire, I mean, if we were on a ride up Mill Creek, I would just, that would be so fun to tell. I want to hear more about, I want to know more. Uh, half a bag of chips. How what, Would you find those on the side of the road? Like, how are you having a half a bag of chips? I, I kind of, I put a bag together, my go bag <laughs> yeah. next to my wife's car, you know, before she left. And and I, I kind of anticipated I'd need those. So that, that wasn't that bag. We're going to forgo this goo. Spot. I'm going to use Lay's instead. <laughs> 
I had a couple Gatorades in the car and I called my wife on the way and I said, grab a couple bangs, grab, grab a couple <laughs> sneaker bars. <laughs> this is what we need to suffer through the end of this. So. Oh, good. I get it. Well, one thing that Scotty said after I had texted him and said, dude, I can't believe you did this was he said, well, I had to, f- I did true grit a couple weeks before that was my training ride for this. So let's talk for a sec about what the carnage that was, that was true grit 2021. It snowed. I mean, not just snow. I read a weather report that said that it was the highest accumulation of snow in St. George in the last 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> it was an amazing weekend. It was a crazy weather weekend. That's all there is to it. It was, it was nuts. So this is the Scotty, tell us what it is. So you did the 60 mile gravel course in snow on Friday, right? Yeah. I think, yeah, the gravel course, of, well, 60 or 80, uh, 80 mile gravel course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's a three day stage race and Andy can talk more about that. Cause he did a lot of stages the year before, but yeah, I just, you can either do the stage race where you do all three days or one into, or Saturday or Friday. And I just signed up for the gravel race and, and uh, yeah. So you show up, it was the week after camp that we were down in St. George where it was like 75 and I got, we were, getting sun, weather, yeah. we were getting sunburned and you show up. Okay. So yeah, 80 miles, 7,600 feet of climbing, six hours and 11 minutes. And there were like 80 people that signed up and like 20 that did the whole, th- I mean, you finished the stupid thing, the whole thing. I had a volcano to get up the next <laughs> in a couple of weeks. So I had to finish. That was the only time I had to ride. So you gotta, you gotta fit it in. Okay. But just talk for a sec. How did you finish? Like how, what happened? So yeah. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit just to the night before went down okay. the night before actually stayed in Cedar city, woke up Friday morning. And you know, the night before there was about an inch in, in Cedar and it wasn't bad. I was thinking, hopefully this all comes up, passes over. And it's similar to 2019. Cause I was supposed to race it with Andy in 2000 in in 2020, sorry. But uh, same kind of thing, weather, you look at the long-term forecast, that oh, looks good. You know, maybe a chance of rain. And then as you get closer, the weather forecast just looks worse and worse and worse. But even when we went down, it was only 20 or 35, 40% chance of rain. I figured if it rains on us a little bit, you know, that'll be all right. It'll make for a good ride. So Friday morning, you wake up and it's, it's snowing, driving from Cedar down to St. George and it's snowing pretty good. And there's cars off the side of the road thinking, well, St. George will be different. It won't be bad. It's St. George. How bad could it be? So drive down to St. George. And by that time, the rain had actually kind of slowed down a little bit, got to the race the start line and, and it was uh, just kind of sleeting a little bit and it wasn't too bad and kind of talked to some of the other guys who were doing it and pretty much got everyone to the, to the start line. But then just as we go to line up, it starts snowing harder and uh, the race director has us all line up. And, and when she didn't look real confident and didn't sound too confident, that's when I really started to get a little, little scared. She kind of said to us, this was her pep talk. It was, well, we're all here. It's snowing. Not sure how it's going to go. We'll, we'll see how it goes and we'll go from there. And the bananas was, will go bad if I cancel the race. So go that, ahead. <laughs> that, that was the pep talk. And then from there, we just kind of started. And so the race was a little different than in previous years. We had a seven mile neutral rollout on the road before we started the gravel in Bloomington. Then we got to Bloomington and, and it was, and it was, uh, we're thinking, you know, as we talked there in the start line, you know, 
the worst part's going to be the road, you know, all the road spray and whatnot will get wet. And sure enough, we were just soaked to the bone by the time we finished the seven mile neutral rollout thinking you get to the gravel and if it slows down, you know, the, you won't flip up too much water and it won't be too bad. But yeah, the problem was it was snowing pretty hard at that time and it was starting to accumulate and there was a couple inches on the, on the road. And as you go up the hill, you know, every once in a while, you'd see a guy come in the opposite direction and <laughs> people were just kind of bailing left and right. There's some pretty good carnage. Yeah. Overall. So in the 50 and under, yeah, there was like 80 people that signed up overall, the 50 and younger, 50 and older. There's like about 150 that signed up. There was about 125 that lined up. There was probably a hundred that made it to Bloomington. And then, like you say, you know, most of those dropped out of the second feed zone and, and then it was just kind of going from there. Um, but I mean, yeah, what was the, what was the worst part? Were you just frozen? So the first hill you, right after you, right after the seven mile neutral rollout, you get to the first hill and the race calls it the root beer, um, climb or whatever, the hard root beer climb. Um, they, I guess for other years, they'll have hard root beer for you or, or, a root beer for folks that are at the top. They did not have it on, on that day. So there was just a guy up there. No, with the camera. no ice cold root beer. <laughs> yeah. Just taking pic. Yeah, there's just a guy up there taking pictures of all the frozen dudes who'd, who'd ride by and taking pictures with his drone. And that was, that was about it. But yeah, you're climbing up this climb and it's about 2000 feet and down below it wasn't bad, but yeah, you get to the top of the climb and it's, it's, I kind of thought, you know, the whole way it wasn't bad. Cause it's like any other climb, you kind of warm up as you go up and there's two inches and there's three inches and then you get to the top and there's four inches. And then you think, well, this is, is all well and good, but we do have to go down. And so you start going down the other side and yeah, you're kind of slipping, slipping all over the place, sliding around and, and, uh, and then you just start freezing cause you're not working and, and people were just suffering. Yeah. Yeah. There was just, just, just suffering on that downhill. Just people figuring, you know, when are we going to get to highway 91 People know, and as soon as I get to Highway 91, then we can hop on the road, and and then there's some some exit strategies or whatnot. And so, we hopped on the road, and and then got to the the second feed zone. But this is the only this is the first feed zone that was actually manned, and most people just kind of dropped out there. They just said, "We're done." You know, I passed some people, and one guy told me, "Hey, keep on going, you're winning." You know, they just people were just like, they just oh gave God. up. Oh it got God. to the feed zone, and I I could not. I couldn't eat any of the food I had in my pockets anyway. My hands were not functional at that point. I just had these clubs that, that were, that weren't doing anything. So I had them. I just said, Hey, will you open some food for me? Give me, give me something. And, and so they opened some food and they're asking me, so are you going to go on? And I told them I had, I was, and then I was about to, I was going to, you know, getting ready to leave. And they said, so are you going to go on? And I said, well, and I'd gotten that far and well, didn't have anything else to do. And, had a volcano to climb. And so I figured, Hey, let's, let's finish this thing up. Cause like, I'm, not a, I'm not a surgeon. I don't need these hands. That's I fine. don't need these hands. <laughs> and it stopped, you know, the snow had slowed down, so it wasn't too bad. So, so then I figured, and it was on the gravel road, you know, I was trying to remember I'd done it before and wondering, trying to figure out if the gravel is going to be good being wet and whatnot. And so kept on going, but yeah, it, it turned worse. And yeah, I just started dumping snow again. And you go through the Joshua tree forest and, you know, it was, it was pretty cool in that regard. There was, you know, how often you see Joshua trees with three, four inches of snow on it. So it's, it's a beautiful course. And it was even a beautiful course with a layer of snow, but, but yeah, you know, hands were just frozen and you didn't take your camera out. You didn't try to, yeah, I could not take a picture, could not eat. And so oh that was about it. Just kind of kept on going at that point. If I would have had a mechanical, it, yeah, the exit strategy was not looking pretty. So 
thank goodness the bike worked and I could still shift gears. Thank goodness for, for, uh, for electric gears and it, yeah, I could shift and cause yeah, if I had to index mechanical gears, it, w- it wouldn't have worked either. So I nice. had pretty much no feeling, but got Dude. to the fourth feed zone and, and the same thing on the third feed zone. No one was there. Got to the fourth feed zone and there's the guys manning it from about a quarter of a mile away. They just start cheering, hear the music blaring and, and they just thought it was great. And, you know, and kind of picture, picture spirits up and, and offer you all sorts of things. And, and, uh, said, just give me some food and, and, put uh, it in my mouth, <laughs> put, it, put it in my hand and ate the food and kept on going. But now it was all pretty good. The last little section after the feed zone though, there was kind of three inches of snow, about two inches of mud. And so you're just going through slop and it was, it was pretty demoralizing, but once you got to the, I think it's called the Motoqua uh, road, it, uh, it started to dry up a little bit, still snowing, but that road was much better as far as more gravel and, and not as muddy and kind of picked things were a little bit better. And, and then we get back to the Gunlock road and, you know, 70 miles into it, the sun came out, red rocks, mm. the snow on it. It was a beautiful day, beautiful conditions. And, uh, Stop. rode the rode the dry pavement home so it was it was great you did you didn't name the strava ride a beautiful day at true grit it was it was a beautiful day <laughs> the, the last 10 miles were beautiful the 70 yeah. miles before that i don't know that's dude that is, is hardcore i mean andy you've got notes here um tell us why you signed up i mean true grit is i mean it really is it's something that i didn't know about a few years ago but it's picking up steam so how, I mean, how'd you find it? Why you guys, maybe explain the why behind the race. I, I signed up for it back in December, 2019, rolling into 2020. There was a group, uh, we were all texting back and forth. Hey, who's doing true grit? And half the group was saying, Hey, I'm going to do the gravel. The other half was saying, Hey, I'm going to do the mountain bike. And so I remember it was like the day before, it was the last day of the early bird ride uh, or re- uh, registration. And so I went to go sign up and I said, hey, there's a there's a three day stage race. This seems kind of cool. I was like, and it kind of got and it kind of dawned on me. I was like, I wonder, I wonder how that would feel. Three days back to back of some pretty tough races or rides. And um, it, it took me back to a moment the year before I was managing a uh, uh, I was helping Eric Storheim. <laughs> who was doing a, uh, the world's truff, toughest Ironman that That's was put right. on by yeah, the yeah, Iron yeah, Cowboy. Remember this? Yeah, yeah. I won't take too much time, but Eric Storham, if anybody knows, see that dude's one of the most mentally tough dudes in the world. He came out of the swim dead last as he, he they were counting 30 seconds down. He was about to not make, even make the cut. So he came out of this swim dead last jumps on his bike and just starts picking people off. So the first 50 miles he's flying by about mile 54, 55, his leg locks up on him and he has some things. So we start taking like plastic garbage bags, bags, wrapping it around his leg because of an IT band tightness. We're trying to make shift some things by about mile 80. He rides into the base of pine Canyon, one legged for 10 miles. And I'm like, bro, what a day. Let's pack this up. Let's go home. He's like, what are you talking about? Give me my backpack. He takes his backpack, straps it onto his back and walks his bike up Pine Canyon. Road for <laughs> Wait, so, the whole Canyon? 
there were times where he would hop on, try to ride up. So I, I, anyways, he made, he made his way into Brighton again, about to miss the cutoff with about 10 minutes. So he's rushing to hurry and throw his running gear on, goes out in about the first loop of 11 miles of the 22 miles. He's, he's throwing up, his stomach's not there. And the, the cutoff for this was midnight. I went out and ran the last six or seven miles with him. We crossed the finish line at 1 a.m. He did, he DNFs. They Aww. give him a DNF. Only five people finished this race out of like the 80 people that signed up for it. And he was one of them and they gave him a DNF. Oh. But the, I took away from this. Eric, that's a, that's a finish in my book, Eric. Oh, We're going to get you. 100%. <laughs> so I took away from this, like, dude, I'm pretty mentally weak. So if I can do a three day stage race for true grit, let's see if what, how I can react if I put myself into some dark places um, and how can I be tough like that? So I, I signed up for the, uh, for the three day stage race and, uh, uh, and went and, and hashed it out. It was, it was fun Thursday. Thursday was a beautiful ride. It was, you could, it was really a firehouse or fire road should have been something on a gravel. I just locked out my mountain bike and rode that on that day. It wasn't a time section. So you just go out and you ride it and you just show them your Strava segment, proving that it was done and you're good to go. So Thursday was a beautiful ride. I ended up meeting Stuart Goodwin, who we ride Zwift a little bit, right? And uh, on that yeah. day, he and I were riding a little bit. We ran into TJ Eisenhart with his buddy and we rode the last 20 miles in from with, with the four of us as we uh, as we rode in, feeling the vibes from TJ and having a good time with, with them. And, um, so Thursday was just a pretty casual, not burning too many matches kind of a ride. And then the weather turned on the event uh, that there was some uh, forecast or rain. Communication was going back and forth. They ended up pushing the, so rain came in super strong. They ended up pushing the race to 1130 start time. I think about 150 people had signed up to do Friday race. And I think about 60 people showed up to start it. And then they actually shortened the race to, um, to where you get to that Utah hill climb on the backside, US 91, and you just ride that all the way in. So that segment that, jo uh, that uh, Scott was talking about with Joshua Tree, they cut that section out. Mm. So, but they did the seven mile neutral road, uh, neutral rollout into Bloomington as well. Like you said, by mile three, you are soaked no matter what rain gear you got. Temperature starting out was ended up like being about 50 degrees. You get to the top of the climb and that root beer climb, and it's like 38 degrees. Mm, and you just, water's coming down the, the roads so so strong that you can't even ride the mud. So you were finding like where the rivers were coming down because that's where the rocks were, and you were riding through the rivers because that's where you get the best traction. <laughs> so it was fascinating. There's because Scott, because Scott shake his head. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're pushing the bike up some of those climbs. They had a trailer at the top of that root beer climb, and I bet I saw five dudes wearing nothing but their their sleeveless jerseys and spandex and hypothermia, calling it quits. The backside down into Utah 91, we had so much rain that all the dry beds ended up being rivers. There were seven river crossings. Oh my gosh. You had to ride your bike through. In fact, the first time we go to attempt it, there's a guy, a guy in front of me, and uh, he goes to ride his bike across it. And all, when one minute he's in front of me, the next second, he is over the handlebars, fully submerged into the river, gone. 
And so uh, at that point in time, you're picking up your bike. You're literally knee deep into some of these rivers. The only thing my saving grace is once I got to that US 91, like you said, Scotty, I had an extra pair of gloves that I kept dry. I put those on there and I just rode the pavement home. But uh, <laughs> it, was, it was cold. It was challenging. I remember waking up Saturday for the third day um, and the sun was out. The temperature was warm, but all of the all of the trails were just extremely muddy. Um, and I just felt like I got ran over by a train and I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Let's go day three. Just took all the energy I had to get through the first two days and now to go do another 50 mile uh, mountain bike ride. It mm. starts out with a quick little three mile ride on the mountain bike down the road. And then you get onto the dirt. The moment you got on the dirt, there was this massive, just ankle deep mud section that we all tried to push our bikes through all the mud got onto our tires to the point where it wouldn't even, your tires couldn't roll. So now your chain, everything had two inches of mud on it. You're literally in a puddle, scraping the mud off of it, washing your bike. You're trying to ride through everything. What? Oh, it was, there was three sections where you had probably football size areas of ankle deep mud that you literally had to just walk through. Once you got to the backside, everything worked out great, but the last mile, my chain, my cassette came off, my chain came off, and I had to walk a mile section just to get to the mechanics. And then uh, he took my bike apart, put the cassette back together, put the chain back on, and then I rode to the finish line with the last five miles with Isaac Coons, and we uh, we called it a day. But uh, it was it was three challenging days that had met multiple different factors. And I found myself not necessarily in too many dark spots, but I think I accomplished what I wanted to do as far as putting myself in some challenging spots that made me kind of figure out why am I doing this and what was, uh, um, and, and uh, it was fun. It was a great experience. That's cool. But. Nice. What about like, I mean, maybe Andy go first and then Scotty as we kind of wrap up, but I want to know, I mean, you guys tick, like so different in my opinion don't i mean you guys are ultimate at finding that ability to like that's why i think this is fun this topic of what you two have accomplished andy what do what do you think it is it's just like um fortitude the unwillingness to give in i mean where does it come from uh i i guess as we wrap up like what advice could you give to someone like how how can they be uh, what yeah. are you going to say? Okay, go. <laughs> Good point. I know I get what you're saying. I think the reason there's so many of our teammates that are so good, at, they're so strong, so fast. And if I try to compare myself to a Stewart or a Doug or a Dave Sharp or a Taylor Kander, I could name so many different people. You guys all have these extra gears that I don't feel like I have. Um, I'm not the fastest guy out there. I'm not, uh, I'm not the, you know, I'm not the best climber. Um, and I've found that I'm probably pretty good at a lot of things. And the one thing that I feel like I've got is just this drive and determination just to do my best at whatever I've got. Why? And so if I can suffer a little bit deeper, then that's what, uh, that's what I've got to do. And that's where I feel like that that's kind of been uh, part of, Part of it but I found myself that's why I kind of got into this Wasatch 100 is where can I push my limits 
sure we, we do load of gen we do these true grits and i felt like that the next thing for me was can i run 100 miles and and one of the things that i've learned about being a part of this team over the last couple of years has been i haven't life has been super busy with me for work and house and other things and as a result i haven't been consistent as much as i'd love to be with the team and some other things and i've had to do some uh some reflection on that and I've had to come to some grips and really there's two things I take away. Why do I ride? Why do I do what I do? And for all of us, I think we offer that, that why is going to be different for everybody. Yeah. For me, it's because I ride because I need to bro down with some of my best buddies. That's the reality <laughs> of it. For somebody else, it might be that I need to go push 300 Watts for 20 minutes or everybody's got their own why. And I'm, introspectively figuring that out why do i why am i running 100 miles i don't know the answer to that for me personally and then the second thing is is i would note that um do you and what i mean by that is be okay with be okay that you're probably good at a lot of things but you're not the best at one thing i've had to come to grips with that and and own that and be yourself with that and expand upon those things and find out how you balance life and make the most of what the team offers and dive into the team. And, and so for me, I've, I've had to grow and learn about myself the last couple of years to find out why do I ride and be okay with me putting in the best that I've got to the team. And this is the best that I've got. And it may not be as consistent as everybody else, but it's the best I've got and I'm okay with that. So for me, it's uh, this me Dewey team is, uh, it's hard for me to put into words how much it means to me, but it's taught me how to suffer. It's taught me how to be a better person. It's taught me how to figure out the why of who I am and why I do what I do. And it's taught me to be comfortable with what I do and what I accomplish in life. And as a result, I'll always be indebted to me duly and I'll always have some of the best friendships forever. So that's nice. That was deep. Nice, Andy. Thank you. Thanks, bud. Follow that, Scotty. Yeah, I can't follow that. So I'll, I'll just follow my face instead. But really, a lot of it's just kind of echoing what what Andy said. I mean, that's that's yeah, I'm not going to do anything justice there. But but my my why is and, and what I enjoy about the team is it's amazing to see what we can what we can do and what each of us can do and what the body can do if, if, if pushed. And that's that's what I enjoy about um, getting out every morning, doing it myself and watching and doing with others and seeing what other people can do. It's just amazing, you know, watching people set goals, like Andy setting his goal for the Wasatch 100 or someone yeah. setting a goal for a certain race they've got their eye on. And, and it's cool to watch that, to help, you know, to follow that, you know, through social media or through talking with them, through the training rides and just see people accomplish their goals. It's a, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. You know, we, we all have our other goals and, in life with our family and work and, and socially and otherwise, but it's, it's good to have, have these goals and, and have something to, to work out every morning. And, you know, you know, similar to what we just, what you've discussed in this and in other shows, you know, I've got between 5am and even 7.30am every morning <laughs> to go do something mm -hmm. and I'm going to, you know, choose something to do. I choose, you know, there's two or three activities I've got my eye on and you look at the weather and you know, what is the weather telling you to do? And you go out and you do that thing and you enjoy the outdoors, enjoy hanging out with friends and, and being with, with, like Andy said, some of the coolest people around. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a great opportunity. I'm 
definitely grateful to be part of the team and and to, to have friendships with with all the folks on there it's a it's good good time so man well you two are absolutely the pinnacle and uh so grateful that i know you and um can watch even if it's like from a jealous standpoint on strava the cool things you guys do so um i'm grateful you beyond share your story if you're on the team and don't know Scotty and Andy, you, um, man, inspirational dude. So, uh, grateful for both of you. Hopefully we can do a, can you imagine a team ride up one of those dumb volcanoes? Let's do it. Let's go for it. Happen. Let's do it. <laughs> so, all right, fellas. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap up. So grateful for the time you shared. And, um, I'm going to post some of these, like the Strava files of your volcano rides are mind blowing. You look into some of those segments, Scotty, you average like three miles for the five, three miles per hour for the final two and a half hours. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, it was a, a 12% average for the final seven miles up a gravel road. I want to know the person that was like, you know, it'd be a good idea. We should uh, <laughs> let people go up here on bikes. That'd be a good idea. <laughs> put that in perspective. Mountain, Little and volcanoes, you know, mountains are meant, meant to be a uh, mountains and volcanoes are meant to be climbed. I guess. And that one had a road to the top. So, you know, it'd be a shame not to ride a bike to the top of it. So yeah, there's a road there. You got to take it. <laughs> All right. Well, I love you both. You guys are awesome. I appreciate you being on and uh, let's hopefully the snow kind of, although who cares about snow? Scotty will just go ski. It, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, it's winter again. Yep. All right, fellas. Thanks so much. Hopefully we can get on the road soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks too.